All right, good evening. Welcome to the Bible study group to see you all here tonight. Uh, we're going to be in Joshua, the seventh chapter. It's a pretty interesting chapter about uh, Achan's sin, uh, the defeat at Ai and Achan's sin, which caused it. So we're going to look at the consequences of having sin in in the camp uh, for Israel and what that means uh, for us. So this comes on the heels of the, the great uh, victory at Jericho, you know, when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down after the people, uh, the priests blew their horns and the people shouted and they marched around the city once a day for six days and then seven times on the Sabbath day and the priests blew the horn and the people shouted. They saved uh, Rahab and her family but everyone else uh, in Jericho uh, perished. And they took the spoil of the city. You know, they took all the levels and everything. So now on the heels of that great victory this is going to be a theme throughout this book and also the book of Judges, uh, where you're going to see great victories take place. And we actually saw it in the wilderness when God did the great things among the people. And we see the word but. And when you see but in scripture, but means uh, it's a contrary word. It's going in the other direction. When you see the word but, but can mean something good, it can be a positive or negative connotation. Like when we were reading Ephesians 2, when we were uh, born in trespasses and sin, when we were children of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy, so that's a good but. Okay? Uh, but God shall supply all your needs. That's what Philippians 4. My God shall supply you, rather. But when you think about but God, that's a positive connotation. In the Old Testament in particular, we see the word but, especially in the first five books, uh, particularly in uh, when they were in the wilderness, but the people. When you see those words, nine times out of ten, it's like, uh-oh, something is wrong. Something bad is about to happen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer as we break into this lesson. Lord, Thank you for being with us. Help us tonight to understand this text, to see the consequences of sin, also to see your glory manifested and exhibited, even as you judge your people, as you chasten them. And Lord, uh, send your spirit to illuminate these truths to us tonight, and send your spirit to uh, help me to teach this text well tonight. May you be pleased by what is said and what is heard. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So, look at the first couple of verses here. It says, But the children of Israel, or the people of Israel, committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took up the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. 
Now look back at the sixth chapter in verse 18 of Joshua. And look at what Joshua commanded. He says what? And you by all means abstain from the what? Accursed things. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble. So what would happen if someone took the accursed things? It would bring sin into the camp. It would bring trouble into the camp. That's why they would not have to take any of these things that the pagans had. Nothing. Don't touch it. Don't be curious about it. Don't, don't, don't even look at it. Just don't touch it. Don't take it. Don't bring it into the camp because it will make it will bring a curse upon Israel. So the children had committed a trespass. They did not take any of the accursed things. But these things were associated with the demonic. And the worship and the practices of the, of the Canaanites. Okay? So take these things. So, because Achan did it, Achan was one person. He took of the accursed things. So, the angel of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, the thing about Israel is that, although they could not be defeated by the Canaanites because God was on their side, they could bring defeat upon themselves by their sinful choices. They can defeat themselves by elevating themselves from God's plan and from God's power. That's how people can, uh, believers in particular, we have God on our side. We know that God is with us, as he always is. But sometimes through our sinful choices, we can bring troubles upon ourselves. And we have no one to blame but ourselves. So what's about to happen to Israel was not God's fault. It, Israel brought it on themselves because of the sins of one person. And what this also shows, we're going to see this, is sin is never isolated. Sin is never isolated. It never happens in isolation. People say, well, if no one sees it, then what harm is it? Or what they don't know won't hurt them. Think about a a man or a woman in a marriage, they commit adultery. Their spouse may, may, may not know, but it's still going to affect the marriage. It's going to affect the intimacy in the marriage. It's going to affect how they talk to each other, how they relate to one another. So just because one person doesn't know doesn't mean that it's not going to affect anyone. Just because Achan took these accursed things doesn't mean that it wasn't going to have an effect on Israel. He probably thought it didn't. But he forgot the command that Joshua had, had told him. We'll see this in verse 2 and 3. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. This was the next place. So they, they conquered Jericho, which was a very formidable, powerful city, powerful enemy. So he sent men from Jericho to Ai. That's how you pronounce that, Ai, not I. Ai, which is beside Beth Avon on the east side of Bethel, 
and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. Well, the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Listen to what they said. We gotta let the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are what? Few. They're, they're small. They're not that mighty. Okay? But they're few. Small group of people. So this mission was approved to be uh, disastrous. The came back with an optimistic estimate. Uh, don't worry about these people. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're not much. It's not, this is not many people. We don't have to worry about them. They're not a big threat. But what did Joshua say? Well, first of all, They recommend sending what two or three thousand men. This is either a response of faith or of tremendous self confidence. So saying send two or three thousand men. They could have sent a hundred thousand troops, but it wouldn't have made a difference. Okay. Don't worry the people, for the people of AI are few. Now. Problem with that is a very arrogant statement because they're showing that they're not trusting in God. So, was the Lord going to be with them? We're going to see they underestimate the enemy. So, verse 4 and 5 says about 3,000 men went up from there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. Wow. And the men of Ai struck down. About 36 men. But they chased them from before the gates as far as Sherebim, I mean Sherebim rather, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted like water. So, the spies came back and said, uh, you know, send a couple, few thousand men up there. The people of Ai are what? Few. They're not a big threat to us. So guess what? They went up, and what happened? They were defeated. And they lost 36 soldiers in, in the process. And this is humiliating for Israel. Why? Because they just <laughs> battled against Jericho. Well, now you battled against Jericho. They just uh, defeated Jericho, which is much mightier of a city than Ai was. Here they come up to this little Ai, and they got their clock cleaned, so to speak. recommend a larger number to go, but it didn't make a difference because the men fled before the men of Ai. So 36 men were killed. This was 36 more than were killed at Jericho because guess what? No one lost their life at Jericho. And Jericho was a much more difficult city to conquer than Ai would be. Now, the number was called, you know, from a military standpoint, you know, 36,000. I mean, 36 is not that bad. But what this sent, meant to Israel was that they could actually defeat 
it was probably demoralizing for the for the for the soldiers, for the army, because when they come to Jericho, they all they had to do was blow their horns and shout without losing anyone. All the people marched around the wall and and the people of Jericho saw them from the top and none of them thought were killed, but then they, they go up against this small city where there's just a few people and they lose 36. Man, we could actually lose. What mattered the most, what this shows, is that what matters the most is doing things in the strength of the Lord or doing things with our own strength. Without God's help, we would be lost. That's what this shows in, in this in this life in which we're living as believers, in this life, if we don't trust in God, if we don't look to God for help and strength, we will be lost. Not lost spiritually because we're saved and we kept it to the end, but we'll be lost as far as what to do and, and, and how to deal with the, the different things that we encounter in this life. We will be lost. If we try to do things in our own strength, guess what? It's going it's to wear out. It's going to get in. That's why it's good for us to trust and do in the Lord. So God didn't fight for them when they went up to Gavin because they were arrogant, because there was sin in the camp. Joshua knows that something is wrong. So what does he do? He tears his clothes. Look at verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes. Tearing their, tearing their clothes back then was a, a sign of mourning. So Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. So before God's presence. And he and the soldiers, uh, uh, elders rather, of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. So this is just like Israel saying, oh, that we were in Egypt. That's what the first generation said. Now Joshua and this generation said, oh, that we would have remained on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns his back before his enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So this is Joshua being the great intercessor. Just like Moses was interceding uh, for God's people before Yahweh, Joshua is doing the same thing. Joshua is mediating. He is, remember, Joshua is a type of Christ. Christ mediates our righteousness before God the Father. Joshua is mediating on behalf of Israel before Yahweh. This is what Christ does for us. He mediates. And this is what he's our advocate. And this is what Joshua's doing. He's saying, he's saying, Lord, what will you do for your great name? Because he did not want the name of the Lord to be brought to shame by Israel turning their backs and all the nations here. Oh, these people came over here and did all this. And they had to turn back to go across the Jordan. That would not make God's name look great. Remember, the fame of, of Israel spread abroad because, remember, Rahab said that she heard about all the exploits of uh, God 
when they were in the wilderness. So the fame of God, God's great name through his people has spread throughout all, all, all the land. All the people knew about our great God. All these people knew about Jehovah God. So Joshua was pleading to that. Joshua tore his clothes. Again, to tear your clothes and to put dust on your head or ashes displayed mourning. But he's not only mourning the death of these 36 men, but he and the elders mourned the loss of the blessing and guidance of God because he knew that something was wrong. So he said, Alas, Lord, why have you brought your people over this Jordan at all? This was a this is this was a nationwide disaster. This wasn't to be taken lightly. They didn't take this defeat lightly at all. There wasn't a win a few, lose a few uh, uh, mentality. Like, oh, well, we only lost 36. No, it wasn't that kind of mentality at all. In war, in conquest, every battle matters. When you're trying to conquest the land, you know, take over your land, Every battle matters. There are no small battles. All these battles matter. The theme of this happened. So all of them matter. Oh, that we have been content and dwell on the other side of the Jordan. So, you know, that, that's just the way he felt. He was saying that it would be better if they had not come into uh, the promised land. When God withdraws his blessing and guidance, we would miss it. And Joshua was missing that. He knew that, that he knew that God's blessing and guidance was missing. That's why he said. When we did when we do things man's way instead of God's way, guess what? We're gonna feel so lost. And that's where Israel was, that's where Joshua was. Then lastly, he pleads to God's great name. What will you do for your great name? Joshua's overriding his greatest concern was the glory of God. When we think about our own disappointment or when we stumble, you know, most times when we stumble, we fall into sin, we think about how it's going to make who look? Us. We don't think about how it's going to be a reproach or insult to God's great name. As Christians, we should be concerned about how this looks before God. I'm dealing with that with a with a, a loved one who's having some uh, issues, uh, a relative, and I told him, I said, "What what your spouse is doing." is sinning before God first and foremost. Sinning before you also, but more importantly, this person is sinning before God. They're offending God. They're offending the institution that God established. That should be that person's greatest concern. Not what you're doing to your spouse, but what are you doing 
to God's name when you say that you are a child of God. You say that you're one of God's own. You you say that you are a, a man or a woman of God, but you're out here doing things to, to bring disgrace to his name. Our first and pro, our first and primary thing should be thinking about man. How is this going to make God look? The God whom I serve, the God who I claim to worship. That's what Joshua was concerned about. He was concerned about how uh, the great name of God was going to look. He didn't want anything to bring reproach or insult to the great name of God. So now we get down to he asked God, he prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. Notice that. He said, Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of their cursed things. And have brought uh, both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it upon their own stuff. Notice he said they. He didn't say the person. He's talking about they as far as the people. Why? Because this was a covenant people. All the people made a covenant before God. These, this is a covenant people. So... When one person sin, the whole, all of them sin. Because it was a covenant. It's like that in a marriage. But like I said, if one spouse commits adultery, it affects the whole marriage. Why? Because that marriage is a one flesh union. They, they husband and wife have made a what? A covenant with each other. It's a, the two shall become what? One flesh. And when either spouse, husband or wife brings sin into the home, it affects the whole marriage because it's a covenant. That's why you have people going around saying that there's no such thing as an open marriage. That that's that that betrays the whole idea of what marriage is. You know, people say they have quote open marriages where where they Sleep, the spouses sleep around with other, they're free to sleep around with other people. What they call an open marriage. That's not a marriage, and it's not open. Marriage is not open. Marriage is fallen. Marriage is a covenant, it is closed. There's nothing about it that's open. It's a covenant. So, we think about that, about this covenant with Israel. Same thing. So they sin. Not just one person. They sin. So Israel has sinned. God has failed the nation. The nation failed themselves. This defeat was due to the sin. with God, but that it is with 
So you told Joshua, get up. You need to be able to go out and change this home. Israel said, remember, they, they, they also. Not one man, but Israel. The whole nation was found guilty. And the 36 men were dead, all for the sin of one man and his family. Paul talking about this, about sin in the church. He talked about this in 1 Corinthians 5 to 6. Because what was happening in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, turn to 1 Corinthians 5, because we, we, we'll see Paul basically using the same principle. How one sin, an uh, unrepentant sin, can affect the body of Christ because we are like covenant people. We're in covenant with each other and with God. Those of us who are members of the true church. Look at First Corinthians So Paul was addressing some sexual immorality that was going on in the church. Sexual immorality defiles the whole church. So he says here, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among who? You. He's talking to the church. In Corinth. And of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. So even the pagans don't do what's going on here. And what is that? Man has his father's wife. So the sin of taking place was a son of the father was committing sexual immorality with his stepmother, his father's wife. You are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed what? From among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and at present I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, do church discipline. Not destroy his soul, but deliver him for the destruction of the flesh. Look at verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that what? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out or cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So Paul says a little leaven, a little sin. That's, that's, that's the analogy that he's using here. Purge your brother from among you. Why? Because a little sin, a little leaven, a little sin corrupts the whole church. All it takes is a little yeast to make dough rise. It doesn't take a lot. 
And that's the way sin is. Offense is a little sin, a little unrepentant sin in the church to corrupt the whole church. That's why we exercise church discipline. You don't do it to punish people. You do it to bring them to repentance. Destroy their flesh that their spirit may be saved. So this principle that Paul talks about, a small amount of sin accepted and tolerated among believers can affect the whole group. That's what Paul was saying, and that's what we see in this passage in Joshua. And in a sense, the acceptance and toleration of sin is worse than the sin itself. So back in our passage here in, in Joshua, so God explains, he continues, for they have done what? Taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. So we understand exactly what the sin was. They took the accursed things and they have stolen and they have deceived. by the giving to his tabernacle or by, you know, complete destruction. But one man stole from God. So that's what happened. So what is the effect of the sin? Verse 12. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies and turn their backs before their enemies because they have become Doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the curse thing from among you. Man, just imagine how uh, Achan and his family felt. I can only imagine the terror that they probably felt. But it had to be dealt with. Hmm. They have been doomed to destruction. That's sad. So the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. Why? They could not with God's power and presence unless they walk in obedience to God. Remember, they were in the covenant with God. They promised blessing on their obedience. We looked at it in Deuteronomy, I think, 27, 28. Blessings on disobedience and curses on what? Now, we're not under that kind of covenant. Because remember, our position with God is, is, is made through the work of Christ. It's, it's on Christ's behalf, not on, on works. But if we want God's power present in our own battles, we must still obey God. We must walk in fellowship with Him. We must walk in obedience to Him. And that fellowship is always hindered when we're in sin and rebellion against God. It always hinders. Our fellowship with the Lord. Now, our position before God is secure in Christ Jesus. We must always remember that. But our fellowship with Him is hindered by sin. 
So with living in sin, I fell to the God of sin. But they were doomed to destruction because of this. That you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away their curse thing from among you. God was really serious about purging this out. So now comes to where they have to sanctify themselves. So it says here in verses 14 and 15. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. It shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families. The family which the Lord takes shall come by household. So you see how it's going smaller. And the household which the Lord takes shall come by come man by man. You start with the tribe. Then within the tribe, you got the families. Then in the families, you got the households. Within the households, you got person by person. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Wow. Wow. Now, Joshua didn't know who this family was, but God did. One theologian says, secret sin on earth is an open scandal before God. We have to know that God sees our sin, although other people may not. So they whittled it down. God willed it down. So whoever is found with this will be burned with fire. But once that person is dealt with in that family, then the blessing of God will come again on that nation. So verse 16 through 18, God, he exposed the identity of the head of the family that has sinned. Verse 16 says, so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, took the family of the Zarhites. He brought the family of the Zohites man by man, and Daphne was taken. If you notice back at the beginning of this chapter, it, it gives the genealogy of, uh, of Achan. So that's all it's doing, because it says here, Achan was who? The son of Carmi, the son of Daphne, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. So you have to read that backwards. Tribe of Judah, son of Zerah, son of Zabdi, and the son of Carmine. So if you read this passage, it says he brought the family of the Zarhites, and then Zabdi was taken, then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmine. The son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. Man, I can only imagine how Achan, it had to be excruciating for him. What this shows is it's much better to walk in obedience to God. Deal with the consequences of our rebellion. Sin is better. It's like a child. You know, what do we tell our children? It's better to tell the truth than to what? Than to lie. It's like you're in worse trouble if you lie. You try to hide. 
That's just say what? I did it. But in this case, it's better to obey God than to not obey God. And all this time, Achan knew exactly what he had taken. And I'm sure he wished that he had never taken it. But we should remember that regret. <laughs> we should remember the regret that the regret that sin brings before we sin, not after it happens. Many times people regret sin after it happens and not before it happens. We regret the consequences sometimes, but not the sin itself. That's how our sinful hearts are. We we can we can regret. It's like a person apologized only because they got caught. They regret it only because they got caught, and they didn't regret it beforehand. But they regret it afterwards. It's too late then, and that's what we see with Agen. Now, the thing about sin is that sin does have its pleasures. But the flesh, it does. Aiken probably felt good taking those first things. But the penalty of sin always outweighs the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's something that we must always remember. Now I'll go back again to the adultery thing. You see it in the movie sometimes with, with a, a, a man and woman they're calling adultery. Oh, just seems like it's so good, it's so passionate. The, the music is passionate and and they look passionate doing it or whatever. Not realizing the penalty for that sin far outweighs the pleasures of it. And the pleasures of fleeting, they're, they're temporary. Because if you're, 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 you're in the throes of adultery or whatever it may be, it, it feels good in the moment, but after that, that great emptiness comes over you. Like a person who does drugs for the first time. But if you do those drugs, then man, it feels so good when you're high. It feels so good when you're drunk. Then you become sober, you're like, man, same problem is still there. It hasn't left. It's still there. That's how sin is. It it feels good in the moment. A person that steals money from their company, and my boss and I are talking about after the sheriff agent up in North Alabama, like Decatur, Madison, somewhere, uh, I think it was a month last, month, month or last, he sold over $800,000. $800,000 over the course of, I think, two years. An alpha agent. $800,000. And he has fans seeing to that song, they really know how he did it, but man. People get greedy. Why? Because it feels good in the moment. It's just, man, I'm getting all this money. I'm buying these boats and buying these trucks and, 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 and all this stuff. It, it feels good in the moment. But it's fleeting because you know that you're doing wrong. The pleasures of sin are not worth the penalty that comes with it. Could they be defiled? Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to jail. Commit wire frauds on everything. And, and, and restitution. You're not paying that money back. Yeah, you're not paying that money back. You're not giving him like $100,000. You know, he'll never be able to get a job in financial services ever again. He'll be a convicted felon. Was it worth it? No. 
Because all the stuff that you bought with that money is going to be seized. That's, that's how sin works. The pleasures of it feel so good, but man, the penalty. But what does Joshua do? Verses 19 to 21. He found out who it was. Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered, Joshua said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoilers a, blue, a beautiful a Babylonian uh, garment, what did he do? 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I covered it down and took them. He violated the Tenth Commandment. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So he hid it. He dug a hole in the ground and hid it. <laughs> he thought that he could hide his sin. Man, there's so much in that. Even when we sin and try to cover it up, we can still give glory to God. By openly and honestly confessing our sin. That's why we do prayer confession. Even as we as believers sin before God, how do we give, how do we give glory to God? By confessing our sins. By confessing that we have sinned against a holy God. By confessing that we have offended God. Because that's who we've offended. It brings glory to God to not hide your sin, but to confess your sin. It brings glory to God. And what did he take? A beautiful Babylonian garment. Beautiful cloak from Shema. That's what it says in some translations. It was a Babylonian garment. 200 shekels of silver, which is not really a lot. Comparing it to the lives of 36 men who lost their lives. And bringing reproach upon the whole nation. That wasn't even worth it. What Aiken gained was insignificant just based on the consequences, just like I talked about earlier. This is what Paul says about the love of money. He says, 1 Timothy 6 and 10. Truly, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money does what? It pierces a person with many sorrows. What you said, 1 Timothy. 6 and 10, yes. So he, he said that he did what? He coveted. And took them. Aiken could have rationalized this sin. He could have made an excuse. He could have said, oh, no one will ever know. Nobody missed these things. This is not hurting anybody. He says, I coveted them and took them. Now was a confession. He could. We have to see enough covetousness. The 
Hey, we have to pray that God <laughs> helps us to see the truth about our sin before we do it, not after we do it. Lord, help us to see the truth about sin before we do it, not after it happens. Look here, the last few verses, 22. Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. There it was, hiding in his tent. He killed under it. Took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua. So all the children of Israel laid them out for the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with them. With him, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, everything. And brought them to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why have you trouble? Why did you do this? Why did you bring this sin upon our people, causing the lives of 36 men to be lost? Why did you do this? So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. When this is written, when the Lord turned from the Christians of his anger, therefore the name of that place was Galilee to this day. And why were the sons and daughters included? Because they had special knowledge of this sin. It's unlikely they could have bared this, you know, without anyone else knowing. His children were probably brought forth as a witness of judgment against him. Against him. So Achan was stoned, not his children, but one of his sons and daughters. Because you notice the singular, verse uh, 25 and 26 says, You viewed him and him. So it's referring to Achan. One person being stoned. The plural part of them refers to Achan and his possessions, not his children. So the children were not stoned, but just him. Yep, so this is what happened. That's how serious that sin was. And so, as a result, God turned from the fierceness of his anger. And it doesn't mean that God will stone us because Christ was punished for our sins, but but what this shows us the big lesson is the consequences of sin and how it can affect our homes. It can affect our... That's why um, when we're going through Deuteronomy, looking at the uh, uh, the, the new covenant commandments about uh, rebellious children being stoned to death. That children who rebelled against their parents disobeyed their rebel, they were to be put to death. Why? Because the Bible says they brought an abomination to the land. The land was cursed because of the rebellious children. Because rebellious children can bring uh, a curse upon the land. 
Look at how society is now. Look at, you see all these videos of all these young people out in the streets and, and stuff committing all these crimes and everything. Why? Because they're being disobedient to authority. And when they're disobedient to authority in the home, guess what? They're going to be disobedient to authority out in the street. Or a junkie, or a drone, or a messenger, or a Montgomery. A whole, all, the whole thing. Yep. So we, we're looking at Achan's sin and, and what it caused. We have to look at our own sins. Now, again, we're not punished for our sins. We don't, we don't, we're not condemned for our sins, but it's important that we know that we don't bring sin into a household or to our church. You know, not living in sinful rebellion outside of church and, and, and coming into church because that, that sin can affect the church service. Can affect the body of the church. That's why Paul talked about in First Corinthians five about uh, purging out the old leaven. God give us the grace to see our sins, and when we see our sins, confess our sins. But also, weighing the consequences of our sin before we even do them. Many people don't do that. Right here, we got so many um, unwed mothers, so many single moms, because they don't. Think about the consequences of the sin of fornication that they do with the lady before they have a baby and say afterwards. And they realize they don't really like each other. And what, is the, what does the man do most times? He leaves. And the woman is uh, stuck. The woman is stuck. Amen. 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 Amen.